As you've been listening to Covenant Network over the past few weeks, you have heard many promotions for the St. Louis Marion Conference coming up May 13th, 14th, and 15th. And for all of the information you would like to know about the Marion Conference, right off the bat here, I'd like to give you the web address, stlmc.org. That's www.s as in St, T, L, M as in Mary, C is in conference.org, and you can find everything you'd like to know about the weekend there. But in the meantime, for Covenant Network, I'm Adam Wright, and we are very happy to be speaking today with Father Wade Menezes from the Fathers of Mercy, who will actually be at the St. Louis Marian Conference again May 13th through 15th. Father, it is good to speak with you today. Well, thank you, Adam. It's great to be with you and all your listeners again today. It's always a joy to have you on the air, and we always appreciate the insights we receive from you. And I'm very excited about today's interview because we actually are going to get a little sneak preview, if you will, a little glimpse of what you'll be speaking about at the Marian Conference, where you are giving two talks, In Defense of Truth and Faith, Our Catholic Calling, divided into Part 1 and Part 2. So, Father, let's start right at the beginning. What do we mean— When we're talking about truth, we say truth is a person. What do we mean when we say that truth is a person? Well, that's a great question. And before I attempt to answer that for your listeners, Adam, I want to say that we need today at the dawn of this third millennium, 22 years into it, defend truth and faith so much that my two hours allotted to me as a speaker are on the same subject matter, just as you intimated with part one and part two of that talk titled In Defense of Truth and Faith, Our Catholic Calling. I begin with talking about defending truth, and truth precisely is a person. We have that revealed to us in sacred scripture. You know, Jesus answers Pilate in the Gospel of John chapter 18, uh, you say that I am a king, and in fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth, and everyone on the side of truth listens to me. And Pilate retorts back to Jesus, truth, what is truth? So we see the crisis of truth, huh? going back to biblical times during this very, very powerful scene of St. John's Gospel that's part of the history of the human person. Pope Benedict XVI, during his April 2008 visit to the White House, on his birthday, I might add, his 81st birthday, while standing on the, on the second floor balcony of the South Portico, told some 2,700 people gathered there on the South Lawn, uh, what the world lacks today is seekers of truth. There are plenty of seekers of pleasure and plenty of seekers of power, but not enough seekers of truth. And so I springboard from John 14, verse 6, where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Now, he begins that sentence, Adam, with I am, showing his consubstantial reality with the Father, And also, of course, we know with the Holy Spirit, when God reveals himself to Moses as the I am in the Old Testament, and Jesus gives us this quote we just heard, beginning with those same words, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, St. Thomas Aquinas, Adam, he he teaches very beautifully. I always like to, to quip, but I mean it sincerely. This would make a great bumper sticker for 2022, right? St. Thomas Aquinas says, errors perish and cease to be when people get to know the truth. Errors perish and cease to be 
when people get to know the truth. And then I love this quote from St. Edith Stein, one of my girlfriends in heaven, I like to say. She says, do not accept anything as the truth if it lacks love, and do not accept anything as love which lacks the truth. Why? Because one without the other becomes an absolute destructive lie. And Dr. Warren Carroll, one of the founders of Christendom College in Front Royal, Virginia, often cited as the founder of Christendom College, he says, look, truth exists. The incarnation happened. Truth exists. The incarnation happened. And this dovetails us back to John 14, 6, when Jesus tells us quite plainly, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So yes, truth is a person, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, the second person of the all-blessed, all-adored Trinity. That's what we mean, Adam, to answer your question directly when you ask, what do we mean when we say truth is a person? So we've just covered truth, but the title has two parts in defense of truth and faith. So Father, what exactly is faith, and how is it reciprocal for the human person? Great question, and, and we turn to the Catechism for that very answer. And the Catechism tells us very clearly that faith is both a gift of God to the human person and a human act by which the believer responds back to God's invitation and gives personal adherence to the God who invites his response and to the same God who reveals himself to the person. That's what we mean when we say faith is reciprocal. It's reciprocal on the part of the human person as a response back to the God who freely reveals himself. When the human person freely assents to the whole truth that God has revealed to him. Now we as Catholics know that truth is revealed through the three-legged stool of sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And the Catechism touches upon that truth, huh? It is this revelation of God through the three-legged stool, which the Church proposes for our belief, and which we know through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, either in the oral or handed-down traditions, and the magisterium, the teaching office of the Church, and which we profess in the Creed with some 40-plus truths, Adam, the Nicene Creed from 325 AD, and the same truth and faith by which we celebrate in the sacraments, by which we live by right conduct, and which fulfills the twofold commandment of charity, that is to love both God and neighbor, and which also, Adam, this faith in truth, that we respond to in our prayer of faith. So faith is both a theological virtue given by God as a grace to the individual, along with hope and charity, faith, hope, and charity, and it's an obligation that flows from the first commandment of God, quote, I am the Lord thy God, thou shalt not have strange gods before me. So faith is a gift from the God who reveals himself, a gift to whom? To the human person. But it's also reciprocal in that the human person responds back to God with the free assent. To what? To all that has been revealed through sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. And I might add, all that which is safeguarded from that three-legged stool in what's called the sacred deposit of faith. And what is the sacred deposit of faith? Well, look to the Catechism no further than its glossary in the back. The deposit of faith is that heritage of the faith contained in sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and which is handed on in the church from the time of the apostles, from which the magisterium, that is the teaching office of the church, draws all that it proposes for belief as being divinely revealed by God, so the human person can embrace it and thus put themselves confidently on the road to salvation, cooperating with God's grace, which is always his gratuitous gift. 
If you are just joining us, we're talking today with Father Wade Menezes of the Fathers of Mercy about his upcoming talk at the St. Louis Marian Conference, May 13th through 15th, in defense of truth and faith. And Father, we have defined who truth is, not what truth is, but who truth is, because as you told us, truth is a living person, Jesus Christ our Lord. We've talked about what faith is, and you mentioned very early on in this question of what is truth that Pontius Pilate asked our Lord is really the first, what I would call a, a crisis of truth in the gospel, perhaps, maybe I'm overstating, I'm not sure, but your talk is titled In Defense of Truth and Faith. And so we've established that even Pontius Pilate asked our Lord this question. I would imagine over the past 2,000 years, the church herself as the bride of Christ has experienced crises of truth and faith over the centuries. And I was wondering if you could share with us in what major ways the church herself has experienced those crises. Boy, that's a great question. That's a great historical question. Well, it's quite interesting that, A, the church has always dealt with particular trials and tribulations, but in particularly heavy cycles in 500-year intervals. What do you think of that? And that's just historical fact. So, for example, uh, up to around the year 500, and especially between 4 and 500, uh, there were the great Christological and Gnostic heresies, the Gnostic heresies being against the Holy Spirit. Okay, so for example, Arianism, right, which denied the fact that uh, Jesus Christ is indeed consubstantial with the Father, one in substance with the Father. Arianism denied that and claimed that Christ was just somehow, some way, the adopted Son of God, huh? And, and that God the Father sent him into the world kind of as an exterior uh, limb to himself, if you will. And, but that's not the case. Uh, three persons and one God, one God and three divine persons. So, so up until about the year 500, and especially between 4 and 500, we, we have the great Christological and Gnostic heresies combined. Again, the Gnostic heresies against the Holy Spirit. Then around 1054, we have the great split between East and West in the church. Not so much about doctrine as it was more about jurisdiction. Uh, Constantinople versus Rome, Rome versus Constantinople, Rome being of course the place where, where Peter died for the faith. Then in the 1500s we have the great Protestant Reformation, and some say the Protestant Revolt. Uh, well, the church did need reform, the Catholic Church did need reform, and, and Martin Luther was correct in some of his arguments. For example, indulgences were being sold in some factions or some areas or some segments of the church. And that was, that was grave. That was, that was a, a dire uh, uh, misuse of the doctrine of indulgences. Huh? And so around 1500, we have 1517 is when he nailed his 95 theses to the doors of Wittenberg Cathedral. Now, in the 2000s now, again, the dawn of the third millennium, 22 years in, but even before these 22 years, we have what now? The great heresies of secular humanism, relativism, and the clerical abuse scandals. And I'm going to talk about the clerical abuse scandals uh, across the board of clerical ranks, uh, bishops uh, and priests, huh? and, and consecrated religious. So here we see in this, these four cycles, the 500s, the 1000s, the 1500s, and the 2000s, these great areas, great not meaning great, by the way, <laughs> these great areas meaning large in our historicity, in the historic context of the church, 
these four great factions of particular trials and tribulations, which you appropriately say the, the Bride of Christ has suffered from. You know, I like to cite St. Eusebius. It, it's worth noting that before beginning the very controversial church council, the, the, the heavily pro-Arian council, Adam, of, of Milan of 355 AD, St. Eusebius, a staunch opponent to Arianism, by the way, he insisted that all present at the Council of Milan, before they begin debating Arianism to vote on it, pro-Urcon, he reminded them that all should first attest to the truth before the debating began on Arianism by jointly signing their agreement, all the bishops present, to what was agreed upon in the Nicene Creed, which had been defined in 325 AD just some 30 years earlier. And, and he did. He had them do that. The, the bishops present at the Council of Milan, he had them sign as an attestation to the truth of what the church already held to be true. All that was covered in these 40-plus truths in the Articles of Faith of the Nicene Creed. And it was then and only then did the debate commence on Arianism at the Council of Milan. And guess what? Arianism was firmly stomped out of existence at the Council of Milan. Not that certain factions of it didn't still kind of linger on, but it eventually died out. So there you see the beauty of the magisterium, the teaching office of the church, rooted or grounded in the apostolic of the original 12 as something very powerful. Father, let's talk about the magisterium for a moment, because when I think of the, the crisis of faith that we are currently living through in the world, one of the things I hear so often from friends, neighbors, relatives, well, I have a relationship with the Lord. I, I have my own spiritual thing that I do. I don't need the church. I don't need those teachings. Those aren't for me. And I often worry for them because it is dangerous to remove oneself from either sacred scripture and or sacred tradition and or the magisterium, as, as we talked about the three-legged stool. Why is that? You know, I, I think that we suffer, as John Paul II intimates very strongly in, in the mid-1990s, we suffer from an autonomy that separates the individual, quite bluntly, from the reality of faith. That faith is a gift from God and a reciprocal act on the part of the human person responding back to God, right? And instead, we want to make it our own thing, whereby we respond to God on our own effort without getting the invitation from him. But his invitation includes the reality of all that has been revealed through the three-legged stool, and, and, and that cannot be lost sight of. That's a very, very important reality that we need to look to. And I think we suffer from that autonomy that then leads to a type of skepticism, huh? That, that can be very, very dangerous and even lead to a nihilism. You look at some of the more modern philosophers from the 1900s uh, onward, or even, even the mid-1800s, really. Jean-Paul Sartre, the French philosopher, he emphasized freedom, human freedom, which the church does too, but he denied human morality. See the dichotomy there? A Sigmund Freud stressed human instinct, but suppressed the spiritual. Frederick Nietzsche glorified the individual, but he disdained the community, the community of persons. Karl Marx, the adverse of that, he celebrated the community, but he rejected the individual and the individual's rights. And then Charles Darwin was enamored with empirical science, but he excluded metaphysics. 
So really, I, I mean, I guess I just gave my full talk just now. <laughs> <laughs> but, but, but really, those five individuals have kind of led us into the mess we're into today at the dawn of the third millennium. And this is something I shout from the rooftops. And, you know, you almost have to have a sense of humor about it because we know who wins in the end in the book of Revelation. I, I don't mean to be flippant when I say that. But sometimes if we didn't have the book of Revelation, it, it kind of might be easy to slide into nihilism. <laughs> but no, we know who wins in the end. And so our goal is to be joyful, sound, solid Catholics whether single, married, or as consecrated religious priests, brothers, or sisters, who are joyful, knowledgeable in their faith, sound in their faith, excellent students of the faith, who are living their baptism, who are living their confirmation, who want to give this truth to others. That, that's our goal. That's why I love Edith Stein so much. You know, there's a beautiful quote. She, I think I mentioned it earlier in this interview. Don't accept any of the, anything as the truth which lacks love and do not accept anything as love which lacks the truth. Why? Because one without the other becomes an absolute destructive lie. You know, and Pope Francis tells us in a recent Wednesday audience, truth according to the Christian faith is God's love for us in the person of Jesus Christ, in the person. So truth is a person. Truth according to the Christian faith is God's love for us in the person, capital P, a divine person, with two natures, human and divine, in Jesus Christ, Pope Francis tells us. Therefore, truth is a relationship with a person. And another great quote that dovetails with that from Pope Francis by Edith Stein again she says, God is truth, and whoever seeks the truth is seeking God, whether they know it or not. So we need to safeguard ourselves from this pompous, dare I say, prideful notion that God is somehow, and my relationship with him, a reality that is just between me and him. No, it's not. It it's a both and. It includes you, yes, but it also includes the community of believers, the church, the bride of Christ, which he founded and which we know by her four marks, one holy Catholic and apostolic. Catholic, of course, meaning universal. So one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And to provide us with a remedy to steer away from these errors of the five category of errors from the likes of Jean-Paul Sartre, Sigmund Freud, Frederick Nietzsche, Karl Marx, and Charles Darwin, again, who have kind of gotten us into the mess we're in today, there's a recent quote by Monsignor Charles Pope, who's one of my favorite authors today living. Uh, he's a pastor at, a, at an inner city parish in Washington, D.C. He blogs regularly at his own blog, but he also writes for the National Catholic Register. And a lot of his blogs appear in the register along with the site spiritualdirection.com. But he says, this is what love does. It speaks the truth and warns of error. This is what love does. In other words, authentic love. It speaks the truth and warns of error. And I like to cite a, a one Old Testament passage and one New Testament passage, just to kind of sum up, Adam, that we are social by nature and we're not isolated into a, a type of one-on-one -on -one only with God, but that it's also a community reality. In the book of Genesis, we're told very clearly at the creation of man and woman that it is not good that man be alone. And so he's made a complementary helpmate. Huh? It is not good that man be alone. And then in the New Testament, Jesus gives us the Our Father in the first person plural when the apostles ask him, Master, teach us how to pray. And he responds in the first person plural with the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, etc., etc., give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Not give me this day my daily bread and forgive me my trespasses as, you, as, as I forgive those who have trespassed against me. No, that sounds very pompous and prideful and very self centered. But this New Testament passage, the Our Father, 
teaching us, the Lord teaching us how to pray. So we embrace these two passages from Genesis and the Gospels to help ward off this self-isolation of faith, because in reality, faith is a gift from God and a reciprocal act, but the gift that's given by God of faith is one that involves sacred scripture, sacred tradition, and the magisterium. Father, if I may, I want to jump back to Revelation for just a brief moment here, because you give us this great encouragement that because of the book of Revelation, we know the final outcome. We know that truth in the end prevails. And again, who is truth? Jesus, our Lord, is truth. We know that he is triumphant. However, I often think of the book of Revelations, what do we hear? That the dragon's tail sweeps, I think it's a third of the stars out of the sky. And so I often ask myself the question, all right, I know that our Lord will be triumphant. What do I need to do or how is it possible for me to avoid that dragon's tail? I don't want to be one of the stars swept out of the sky. And so... As we look at the crisis of truth around us and the crisis of faith around us, we've been talking just about the church, but this is really outside of just our faith community. This We're talking about secular culture here and entire nations even that are becoming adversely affected by the crisis in truth and faith. And, you know, as I said, I, I worry that in that metaphor, they're going to be the ones being swept by the tail. So how can secular culture and entire nations become adversely affected by these crises in truth and faith? Well, they embrace a false notion of human freedom, and morality separated from truth leads one into a deep abyss. And this is kind of tied to what you asked me just before, just a few minutes ago, which I explained as an autonomy of the human person where they close in on themselves. There's a great quote from St. John Paul II in Evangelium Vitae, the Gospel of Life Encyclical. It was promulgated in 1995. He identifies, John Paul II does, now saint, uh, certain elements of what he calls, quote, the spirit of the age, end quote. And, and this answers this current question you're asking about how entire nations can become uh, affected by this separation from faith and truth. John Paul II identifies elements of the spirit of the age, quote unquote, which the modern culture is currently suffering from, okay? And so thus nations are affected, huh? Uh, he, he describes them as the following skepticism, or an even outright denial about the existence of truth, objective moral truth. This in turn, he says, is wedded to an individual autonomy that is categorically opposed to suffering and dependency. So who the heck wants to look at a crucifix when you see the suffering individual on it? I want nothing to do with that. That's what the secularist says, an aversion to suffering and dependency. And then these are convinced of, of individualistic, material, and man-made notions of progress and freedom. So that's the problem we run into. And, and, and Benedict XVI, Pope Emeritus, kind of echoes all this. He says, the entire life of a society, indeed of a nation, can rest on a dictatorship of untruth. Why? Because it separated itself from all that's been revealed by sacred scripture, sacred tradition, the magisterium. For example, the reality of natural marriage, the reality of the family as the nucleus of society, etc. The entire life of a society can rest on a dictatorship of untruth, that is to say of how things are presented and reported, instead of the reality itself. Think of transgender ideology. In a society shaped by the mass media, the image of man, 
of the human person and of his world has obtained an oppressive new reality. What is shown and appears on television, for example, is stronger than the reality itself. That's Pope Emeritus Benedict XVI echoing John Paul II and Evangelium Vitae. So instead of, of resting our culture, our society on the reality of truth and the beauty of truth, what is, quote unquote, the ontological reality of things, instead, reality and culture, when it separates itself from the three-legged stool, begins to rest itself on a dictatorship of untruth. That's the problem, which dovetails back to the five individuals that I mentioned earlier. We're kind of the inheritors of their philosophies, if you will. So, you know, our goal is to be faithful again stewards of all that's been given to us through the sacred deposit of faith, which safeguards everything that's been revealed as worthy of belief to help put ourselves on the road to salvation, cooperating with God's grace, which is always his gratuitous gift. So, you know, regarding speaking the truth, how do we do all that? I like to ask my listeners, do you have the courage to speak out against injustice or sin? Chances are that when you do, you may now be called intolerant or even hateful for sharing gospel truths. Yet Jesus Christ is clear, quote, when your brother sins, rebuke him, and when he repents, forgive him, Luke 17, 3. Jesus also gives us this piece of important advice, quote, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. Thus, if they persecuted me, know this, they will also persecute you. End quote. That's John 15, verses 18 through 20. Father, I have to admit I have long taken great comfort in that quote to know that when that persecution comes, and, and it has within my own family for speaking truth at times and, and within relationships with friends and those that I have held dear to me, uh, there has been great consolation in knowing that I'm not alone in that because our Lord was also persecuted for the exact same thing and in yeah, a much greater yeah, way. Yeah, you know, there's a fantastic quote by St. Ambrose, one of the 36 doctors of the church, the, the spiritual director and confessor to St. Augustine. St. Ambrose says this, to enter the kingdom of God, we must endure many tribulations. If there are many persecutions, there are then many testings where there are many crowns of victory because of those many testings. There are many trials of strength, in other words. It is then to your advantage, I love this, he kind of turns it around into a positive. It is then to your advantage if there are many persecutors, because many persecutions gives you many avenues, many paths to victory. If you had only one persecution, you would have only one path to victory. So thank God for the multiplicity of these persecutions, which provide many roadways, many paths to victory. Isn't that great? That, that's, you know, I love that. I love how he turns that you around know, when there. I get, you know, I, I celebrated my nephew, one of my nephew's weddings uh, this, this past, uh, not, not this past weekend, but the weekend before. And I loved when I got in my vehicle and put on my GPS, it gave me four different paths, tolls or no tolls, through a more mountainous scenic region or a more direct interstate region. You know, I had these different paths. It was nice to have those, those many paths to choose from, right? Well, the same with persecutions and trials and tribulations. I don't want just one. 
because I'm going to have to really run the gauntlet through that one, right? But when there's many paths to victory, precisely because there's many persecutions, many tribulations, thank God for that multiplicity of options. Well, there you have it, friends. What <laughs> what more could you hope for here as we, we joyfully talk about uh, suffering persecutions for the sake of the faith? Father Wade Menezes is giving this talk in a very full version. We've only scratched the surface here. It's a two-part talk in defense of truth and faith, our Catholic calling parts one and part two at the St. Louis Marian Conference, the 23rd annual St. Louis Marian yeah. Conference, May 13th through 15th. You know, I want to say, Adam, it, it, it's, it runs three calendar days, but it's really a beautiful 48-hour period, just just under 48 hours. It begins on Friday the 13th of May, which I might add is the apparition anniversary day of the first apparition at Fatima. So what a f- great day to kick it off on Friday, May 13th. Begins at 11 a.m. with registration and vendor areas open, and it goes all the way through Sunday at 1 o'clock, which is the end of the conference. So it's just over a, a full two-day period of 48 hours, but it runs the three calendar days, as you said, Friday, May 13th through Sunday, May 15th. Opens on that Friday, May 13th at 11, and it closes at 1 p.m. in the afternoon. Stop by, say hello to me, meet and greet. I'll have my, my books available, my different CDs and DVDs available. Uh, would love to meet your listeners, Adam. If, if you come to my table, tell me. Tell me that you're a Covenant Network listener, and I would love to meet and greet with you, your family, you as an individual, whoever. And, uh, and I'm hoping to, to have a lot of Covenant listeners uh, there, uh, Adam, so that'll be a great thing. Well, Father, I'll tell you, we'll be there as well, right down the exhibitor row from you, and we hope to be doing some interviews there that weekend, which we'll broadcast oh, on Roadmap great. to Heaven and great. on Covenant Network. It, it really is you know, a very enjoyable and, and faith-filled weekend, friends. There's Mass each day, confession available yes. each day, exposition yes. and adoration of the Most Blessed Sacrament, uh, many exhibitors and vendors, and really, Father, at the heart of it, our Lord present in the Eucharist, because we can talk and talk and talk and talk until we run out of breath, but if we don't have that deep, loving relationship with our Lord, th- these words are pretty much meaningless. I-, I love to include what you just said by giving the words joyful and solid. We need to be joyful, solid Catholics committed to the faith as good students of the faith. Again, regardless of our state and life or vocation. I love the fact when I was invited by the organizers of the conference, they asked me if I would speak, and I said, well, what's the theme this year for 2022? And they said, quote, as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord, quoting scripture, right, from the Old Testament. As for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. And I thought, in defense of faith and truth, our Catholic calling, defending and serving the Lord and all in my house, my sphere of influence, not only my own household, but my sphere of influence that God has granted me to, to speak to. And, and every, everybody has that sphere of influence, St. John Henry Newman says, whether it's the homeschooling mother of four or the itinerant missionary preacher on the road like Father Wade, who's on the road 35 weeks out of, out of the year, it doesn't matter. We all have a sphere of influence in which to influence. It's all an important sphere of influence. The, the homeschooling mother of, of, of four is, has no less of, a, of an important sphere of influence than I do as an itinerant preacher. We all have our role to play. We all want to be joyful, solid students of the faith, living our baptism and living our confirmation. So I'm, I'm looking forward very, very much to this conference. I, I'm speaking on Friday at 4 p.m., Saturday at 4.30 p.m., and then on Sunday, I am the celebrant and homilist at the 8.30 a.m. Mass. So I, I will have the closing Mass on Sunday. So let's just have a fantastic crowd, my friends. There's still time to register. Let's make this a fantastic Catholic family weekend. 
Well, Father, before we close in prayer, I'd like to give the information one more time. The 23rd Annual St. Louis Marian Conference, May 13th through 15th, beginning at 11 a.m. on the 13th. In addition to Father Wade Menezes, Father Donald Calloway, Father Stephen Imbarato, Father Charles Becker, Sister Deidre Byrne, John Carpenter, our own beloved Monsignor Eugene Morris from right here in St. Louis and heard on our airwaves, beautiful music by Annie Carto and Matthew Bowdy. And I've known Matthew for several years. He is a fantastic musician with a great gift, and Annie does a beautiful job as well. For more information and to register, you can visit www.stlmc.org. That's STL as in St. Louis, MC as in Marian Conference, www.stlmc.org. Or you can email info at stlmc.org. Org. Father Wade Menezes, thank you so much for taking the time to be with us today to give us this preview of what you'll be saying at the Marian Conference. Before we part ways, and I do look forward to uh, coming together in person in a few weeks, could I ask you to close us with a prayer? Certainly, Adam. May the blessing of Almighty God, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit during this Easter season and always descend upon all of our Covenant Network listeners and remain with each and every one of you this day and always, St. Joseph, terror of demons. Pray for us. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you, Adam. You too, Father.